As he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. Brought to the Pharisees, the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? There was a division among them, so they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight, until they called called the parents of the man he had received his sight and asked them, is this your son, who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So, for the second time, they called him, they, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. 
We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? And they cast him out. That's where we're going to stop today. And we'll pick up the rest of the story next week. If you have a Bible, then please do open up to John chapter 9 as we work our way through uh, this text together this morning. And really, we're going to be thinking about that one big question the question of what happens when the light shines? What happens? When the light shines, let's pray and ask God to help us today. Lord, we pray that the light will shine brightly and clearly as we come to your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Crime scene dramas are all the rage, aren't they? Crime scene dramas. Um, when shows like Blue Lights uh, hit our, our screens, then uh, you find that often people are talking about it, maybe in the staff room, maybe in, in the work van, uh, perhaps at family gatherings, uh, or, or maybe it's the, the latest murder mystery, maybe that's your thing, and you, and you enjoy following a good murder mystery, and you're watching along, and, and all of the other um, suspects, they, they, they appear, and you, is it this one, is it that one, who is it that's actually uh, guilty? And there's, there's new evidence revealed at different points. It kind of you know, sheds the light in a different direction. And you're, you're gripped. You, you want to see how it turns out in the end. Well, over the, the next two weeks, we kind of find ourselves in a, in a passage that has this sense of an investigative drama. An investigative drama. And it's a two-part series, okay? So if you're here this week, you need to come back next week. Let me just tell you that right at the start. There's a suspected crime scene. There's suspicion that's awakened right at the start. And then we see evidence being gathered. And there's a judgment that's made. And we're, we're waiting for sentence to be delivered. And yet, like any good crime, dra- crime drama, drama, there are twists and there are turns which keep us gripped throughout the story. I want to confirm just at the start there's no popcorn, there's no snacks available at this stage, you have to wait till after the service, okay, and at that point, there will be tea and coffee, and you're very welcome to stay for that, but not throughout the service. So in a drama, in one sense, but not quite maybe in the other. Now, you might want to look at chapter 9, because just to kind of set the context, what's happened at the end of chapter 8, Jesus has just made the claim saying, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, what was happening there? Jesus was really claiming that he is God. That's what's happening. He's saying, I am the the great I am. Do you know from Exodus, God said, I am who I am. And Jesus is coming along and he is saying, yeah, that's me. (laughs) I am God. And this does not go down well with the Jews. And so how does the the chapter finish? Chapter eight, well, they picked up stones to throw them at Jesus. Jesus. They pick up stones to throw them at Jesus, and it it really does sound like a sort of a a drama that could have been filmed in Northern Ireland, doesn't it? (laughs) We're good at that, picking up things and and throwing them. And yet, 
This isn't actually the, the scene that's under investigation. Because rather than being hit by some in, incoming stones, it says that Jesus just hid and then went out of the temple. Chapter 9, verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Like any good drama, how does it start off? It starts off by introducing us to some of the key characters. And here he is, one of the key characters in the story, and it's the blind man. And Jesus spots him. Could well be that he was outside the temple at this point. Often that's where blind beggars locate it themselves. Remember, this was a a day when there wasn't any government support or provision. uh, And so there was no disability alliance. Now, your survival was really based on people seeing you and and taking pity on you and, and giving you some money or some food, showing you kindness. And so what they did was often they, they located themselves beside the temple, hoping that the people who were at the temple would be moved to show them mercy and kindness. And so it seems like pretty prudent positioning if a man finds himself there. But the question that's posed by the disciples is really an important one for us to think through this morning. You see, it seems that the disciples thought that they, they had an assumption that there is a one-to-one correlation, a one-to-one correlation between sin and suffering. And here it was. They could see this man. They could see that he was suffering. And so their question was, well, what's this a result of? Here is a man who's been blind since birth. So was it a result of his parents' sin or was it a result of his sin? Was it that this little baby, while he was still inside his mummy, had done, his mummy's tummy, had done something that deserved him to be now punished with this blindness? From birth. You can see this is an important question for the disciples really to, to work through, and you can understand why they were asking Jesus. And yet, look at Jesus' response. He said, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, the disciples were actually right. They were right in connecting sin and suffering. They were right in in connecting them because sin in the world is the reason that there is suffering. Back in the garden, before the fall, before Adam and Eve had sinned, there was no suffering. Suffering comes as a result of the fall. But Jesus here rejects the conclusion that the disciples came to. See, it seems that they assume that individual suffering is always as a direct result of an individual's sin. Throughout the Bible, we see time and time again that many people's afflictions are not as a result of their individual sin. Think of Job, for example. He was blameless in the eyes of God, and yet, look at the amount of suffering that comes in Job's life. However, however, there are also times in the Bible when suffering is, in fact, very directly linked to an individual's sin. But Jesus shows that the disciples have two options, either this man's sin or his parents' sin, and Jesus says, those are not the only two options. And then listen to what he says. He says, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but, but that the works of God might be displayed through him. You see, Jesus is saying that actually that the, the purpose of this man's suffering 
is that the work of God might be displayed through him. In other words, God's good purposes are often worked out through hard and painful providences. And as we're going, we're going to see it work out in this man's life. We're going to see God's works displayed through him. Now, perhaps you're here and, and maybe you are suffering. There's a, a particular suffering. You've confessed your sin. There's no obvious way in which you're continuing in sin. But you just can't understand why it is that you're suffering. Well, we need to understand that we live in a, in a fallen, broken world that is all affected by sin and the fall. And that means we live in a world where we will face suffering, not necessarily in direct correlation to our own particular sin, but rather at a much deeper level. But the good news is that suffering is not purposeless. It's not purposeless. Rather, God is at work in suffering. It's not that suffering is somehow outside of God's control and and purpose. No, God is at work and he is using suffering. He brings about suffering as one of the ways that he displays his works. Perhaps through healing that's brought about. Perhaps by being able to endure suffering and still trusting in God. Perhaps through the sanctifying work that happens in us as we go through the suffering. Let's move on because Jesus continues. He says, we must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. You see, Jesus is recognizing that his time here on earth as a man is limited. It's limited. There will come a day when his time here on earth is going to come to an end. Jesus is heading towards his crucifixion. He knows that his death is not far away. Crucifixion is the night. It's, it's, it's coming. But his hour had not yet come. It had not yet come, but it was coming fast. But as long as he is here, it says he is the light of the world. You might say it like this. As, as long as Jesus is here, the light of the world is in the world. The light of the world is in the world. And it's not like, it's not like Jesus stops being the light of the world as soon as he gets to the point of his death and and crucifixion. But rather, when Jesus was here walking on the earth, there was a particular brightness to the light while he was walking on the earth in the flesh. So what is it that Jesus wants us to do with the, the, the limited time that he has left? What's he gonna do? Well, it seems that with the limited time he has left, he is gonna show that he really is the light of the world. These claims that he's made, that he is God, that he is the light of the world. He goes on to to prove that these are not just empty words, but he backs them up to show that they are very much a reality. Look with me at verse six. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. What's going on here? You have to ask that question. What is it that's really going on here? Firstly, notice that Jesus is the one who takes the initiative. He, he chooses to show mercy to the blind man. This blind man doesn't do anything to deserve it. In fact, 
he, he doesn't even ask for it. And there's nothing he can do about his blindness. No matter how hard he might will himself, he cannot make his eyes to see. And yet Jesus steps forward and he saves him from his blindness. And you'll notice that in this miracle, Jesus spits on the ground and made mud with the saliva. It's all a bit strange, isn't it, as we think about it, as this all works out in front of us. And then he anoints the man's eyes with this mud and saliva that's mixed together. Now, we have to ask the question, why? Why does Jesus do it like this? We've other miracles where Jesus just speaks and it happens. Why does Jesus not just say something like, see, and then the man see? Why is it that he works it out like this? Well, we need to remember that the miracles that take place are not just miracles for miracles sake. It wasn't that Jesus was just going around doing miracles with, with no purpose. No, remember, miracles that Jesus does are actually signs, signposts that point us towards something, and that's really, really key. And so we have to ask the question, what is it that Jesus is trying to say here? What is it that he's showing here? What is it that he's pointing to in the way that he does this miracle? Well, it seems to me that if you think about it, Jesus takes the, the dust from the ground. Can you think of another point where dust is taken from the ground? Jesus is taking the dust from the ground, and then he goes on to do a creative act, bringing about sight from blind eyes. See, I think what we see here is an echo of Genesis 2, isn't it? It's an echo of Genesis 2. There, out of the dust, God creates man. And here we have an echo of that very event. Seems to me that Jesus is fleshing out that claim to be the great I am. Seems to me that he's providing evidence that he really is the light of the world. And that he brings light to those blind eyes. Well, having had the mud applied to his eyes, Jesus says, uh, to the man, to go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And the writer then includes this little, this little bit that says, Siloam means sent. And so again, we kind of have to ask the question, why does he tell us this? Why is that important? Why is it significant? Well, Jesus is actually the one who's been sent by God. We see that throughout John's gospel, but you'll, you'll notice it just uh, uh, a little bit earlier in verse four. Jesus is actually the sent one. You see, it wasn't as if there was some special power in this pool, in this pool of water. It wasn't that the water was special. No, actually the power came from the sent one. The power comes from Jesus. And the man humbly obeyed this call. Presumably it would be no easy thing for this blind man to head off to the pool and to wash. I'm assuming he must have asked for help from someone. He doesn't grumble, he doesn't complain, he doesn't say, ah, oh, what, I have to do this? No, he, rather he humbly heads off. It's not like Naaman in the, the Old Testament. No, he's humble, he listens, and he obeys. He went, he washed, and he came back seeing. And in a sense, this is, this is our investigative crime scene. If there was police cordon to go up, this is where it would go up. This is, this is what we're investigating. What has really taken place at this point? You see, the, the questions are raised in verses 8 through to 12. There's a level of suspicion that's raised, isn't there? As to whether these claims of the event 
could actually be the truth. See, there's neighbors around and uh, they recognize this man. There's those who have, who have seen the beggar sitting at the side of the road and uh, they ask the question, is this not the man who's been blind? Is this not the man who, who used to sit and beg? And some of them, well, they say, yes, absolutely. We recognize him. This is the man. Others say, ah, I don't think it could be the man. It's probably just a lookalike. Probably a lookalike. Someone who's his double. And then the man himself, he steps forward. And what is it that he says? I am the man. It's me. It really is. I am that man. And he keeps saying it again and again and again. So verse 10. So they said to him, well, then, how were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and received my sight. And then they say, well, where is he? And he responds by saying, I do not know. Is he the man or is he not? That's the question. Is this really the blind beggar or is it not? Is he really who he says he is or is he not? I mean, he claims he is the man. He claims that he could not see and now he can, but can we believe these claims? Could it really be the case that a man who was blind from birth has now been healed? I mean, these are stories of a, a seismic proportion. This man who's been blind from birth has now, now able to see, really? I mean, this has never happened in the history of the world up until this point. And so the, the neighbors, they... They bring the man to the Pharisees, and they want help. What's your verdict? What's your verdict as to what's happened here? Now, at this point, we're told another key detail with regards to what's taken place. We're told it was the Sabbath. Do you spot that? If you were a detective, you'd be writing this down in your notebook at this point, wouldn't you? And it's as if John, as he writes the gospel, wants to make it crystal clear what Jesus has been up to on the Sabbath. Do you spot that? Verse 14, now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Made the mud and opened his eyes. And that's really important because it kind of sets the scene for the first denial with regards to Jesus being from God, which we're about to see. Verse 15, so the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Now, how was it that Jesus was supposed to have broken the Sabbath, you might ask? And that's a good question. It's a really good question because if Jesus had indeed broken the Sabbath, it's not just a major issue for the Pharisees then, but it's a major issue for everyone who has claimed to be a Christian since. For we need Jesus to have kept God's law perfectly. We're banking on Jesus' righteousness being our own. And so if Jesus has sinned, even at this point, we have major difficulties. So has Jesus broken the fourth commandment or not? That's the question. Some of the Pharisees think that they have. And why is it that they think that Jesus has broken the commandment? Well, the Pharisees didn't just hold to God's written law as his commands. They also had many laws that were passed down from oral tradition, laws that had added to God's law. And apparently, included in their restrictions were restrictions on healing on the Sabbath and needing 
needing, you know, you need bread. Apparently, these were restrictions that they said was breaking God's law. And so in the eyes of, of, um, of these Pharisees, as they, as they hear the story of Jesus mixing spittle along with mud, do you see what their conclusion is? Ah, guilty, he was kneading. That's kneading, isn't it? And then, because they, they don't think you should heal on the Sabbath, well, this man, he's been blind from birth, there was no urgency, surely. He could have waited till the next day, could he not? And so their argument seems to have gone. But not all the Pharisees agreed with their conclusion. In their minds, they struggled to see if, if Jesus was really a sinner, if Jesus was really a bad man, breaking God's laws, how could he actually do such signs? And so there's division among the Pharisees. And so they turn once again to the blind man. What do you say about the man? It was your eyes he opened after all. And what is it he says? He's a prophet. He's a prophet. Seems that this man who was once blind, not only could see with his eyes physically, but he seems to have an increasingly clearer picture as to who Jesus actually is. Remember at this point, the blind man, or formerly blind man, has never actually saw Jesus with his eyes. When he met Jesus formally, he was blind. And then he went off, and he has not met Jesus since. This man, Jesus, though, speaks with power. And what's his conclusion? The power that he speaks with must mean that he is speaking God's word. And so he concludes he must be a prophet. Well, the Jews really didn't believe that this man had been healed. I mean, the the implications for such a story were absolutely massive. Maybe it wasn't that he was blind after all. Maybe he was in uh, a, a double act, you know, that this man just looked a bit like the man who'd been begging. Or perhaps it was one of those elaborate scams. You know, the kind of scams that you hear, someone's begging by the road during the day and then they get picked up in the Bentley in the evening and go and live the good life, you know? Maybe it was one of those scams that you kind of hear of. I'm not sure if they're true or not, but uh, maybe that's what they were considering. So what do they do? Well, to get clarity, they bring in some witnesses. This time it's the parents. And they think, surely the parents will be able to clarify some of this. They'll be able to bring some clarity. Maybe they'll tell us that actually this, this miracle didn't really take place. And surely they'll know if this really is their son or whether this is some sort of double act. So the parents are ushered in to give testimony. And here's the question. Is this your son who you say was born blind? And then how does he see? Really, it's a a barrage of questions, isn't it? Is he your son? Was he really born blind? Was that really the truth? And then how is it that he can now see? And so they respond. They say, well, we know that this is our son. That's the first question answered. We know that he was born blind. Okay, so it's not some sort of hoax. He really was born blind. Second question answered. But how he now sees? We do not know. Nor do we know he opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age. And he'll speak for himself. See, at this point, it seems that the, the parents really want to get out of the witness stand. They don't want to be questioned any further. We know nothing is basically their answer. And although that's their answer, it's not exactly accurate, is it? In fact, they said these things for they are fearful. We're told that in the text, aren't we? They were intimidated. They were frightened by the Jews. And what might happen to them as a result 
if they were to give evidence that was indeed that Jesus had healed their son. See, the Jews had already made an agreement. The agreement was that if anyone was to confess Jesus as the Christ, they would be thrown out of the synagogue. And so the parents find themselves more fearful, more fearful of the Jewish religious leaders than they do of God himself. And what happens as a result? Well, they, they bear false testimony, don't they? They bear false testimony. But as it is, the evidence is building. The evidence is building. The man who is before them, who can now see, really is the man who was born blind. And if that's the case, well then, it really does point to the fact that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is God, that he is the Messiah figure, that he really is the light of the world. And that's not something that the Pharisees are, are willing to accept. And so running out of evidence, as the evidence is tipped against them, they return to their primary witness, don't they? The man who was formerly blind, perhaps they're thinking if we run through the evidence one more time, we'll be able to spot some you know, inconsistencies that might throw this case out. And so they call him back to give evidence for a second time. But listen to what he says, or listen, listen to what they say. Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Now, as you listen to how it starts, you might think, well, that's good. Give glory to God. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful that the Pharisees are looking to give glory to God? And then you read on and you realize that what's actually happening here is that they're wanting to they're wanting to kind of lead him in a particular direction. Don Carson says it's a, it's a bit like saying this, before God, own up and admit the truth. Tell us the truth. It's really a, a scene of witness intimidation, isn't it? Because as we look on, we realize that they've already came to their judgment, that Jesus is a sinner. You see, the Pharisees' position seems to be uniting more and more they're coming together and they're uniting against Jesus. And they've already made the judgment. In their eyes, Jesus is guilty. Jesus is a sinner. And so now the pressure is on for the man who was formerly blind to give the evidence that matches up with what they want their judgment and conclusion to be. So what will he do? He finds himself in front of these powerful religious leaders. What will he do? Will he deny Jesus? Will he deny that Jesus really did heal him? Will he testify against Jesus and give the religious leaders what it is that they want to hear? Well, listen to his response. Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. You see, for the blind man, there were some things that he did not know. He honestly didn't know Jesus' history, saying, I, I'm, I don't know. But what I do know is this. I was blind, and now I can see. Jesus really did do this miracle. And so the Pharisees, again, want him to run through the details of exactly what happened. What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And again, listen to his response. Verse 27, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear again? Do you also want to become his disciples? You see, for the man who, who could not see, he is able to see right through the Pharisees. He's able to see what's going on. It's not that the evidence isn't there that Jesus really did heal him. It's just that the Pharisees don't want to hear it. 
It's just that they refuse to believe the truth. That's what he sees. The man who formerly had no sight at all. You see, the problem was if they were to accept that Jesus had done this miracle, it really would point to the fact that Jesus was the Son of God, that he really was who he claimed to be. And if he claimed to be the Son of God and really was the Son of God, well, that would, that would mean they'd have to change their whole lives. Their whole lives would have to change as a result. And these group of Pharisees were unwilling to do that. I don't know about you, but there's, there's something about me that as I, as I read about this man... <laughs> This man who was formerly blind, there's something really likable about him, isn't there? As you read the story, you can kind of, you can imagine the twinkle in his eye when he says this to the Pharisees. Do you also want to become his disciples? And that was enough. That was enough to push them right over the edge. Their blood was boiling. As we're told that they now reviled him. How dare this man suggest that they would want to follow Jesus? But notice that in saying the very line, he also showed that he himself had taken sides. How does he see himself? He sees himself now as a disciple of Jesus. You are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. You see, the Pharisees, they believed that they were followers of Moses, but they failed to see that Moses himself was but a shadow of Christ, the true prophet. And notice that they say they do not know where he came from. Isn't that funny? Because <laughs> what happened back in chapter 7? Back in chapter 7, they said, we do know where you come from. And that was their very reason for denying that Jesus was the Christ. Verse 30, the man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will... God listens to him. You see, for the blind man, the blind man, it was obvious. It was so so obvious. He, he could see, and he's thinking, "How do you not see this? How do you not see who Jesus is? How is it that you think he's a sinner? That he's that he's the opposite of what he is?" He said, "Jesus is from God. It's the only logical explanation." And that this event that has taken place was the very first time that someone had opened the eyes of a man who had not been able to see from birth. You see, an event like this was something that would make you sit up and take notice. It was a no-brainer that this man really was from God. And for the religious leaders, they should have been the ones who recognized this event. They should have been the ones who recognized that restor restoring sight to the blind was further evidence that Jesus, in fact, was the messianic figure whom they had been waiting on. The one who would save his people from his sin. Because the healing of the blind man, if you remember back to the call to worship, was one of the signs of the Messiah mentioned in those prophecies. See, if anyone was supposed to pick up on this, surely it was the Pharisees, the ones who knew their Old Testament inside out. Surely they would be the ones who would recognize Jesus as the light of the world. Surely they would see these signs and they would see that the signs are pointing them to the fact that Jesus really is God's son and that they must put their trust in him. Let's listen to their response though. Is that how they respond? No, verse 34, they answered him, you were born in utter sin. 
and would teach us. And they cast him out. If you can't get what you want, what do you do? Well, you turn on the person, don't you? You turn on the person and you just attack the person. And that's what we see here. We see them saying, you were born in utter sin. In other words, they're saying the reason that you're blind is because of your sinfulness. And we see their pride and their lofty hearts as they turn and say, would you teach us? We're the hands that used to feed you as you sat as a beggar. And now you think you're going to inform us how to understand the Old Testament and to spot the Messiah. Who do you think you are? So rather than seeking the truth, rather than humbly seeking to see if, is Jesus really who he says he is? Rather than looking at the evidence that was stacking up right in front of their eyes, what is it that the Pharisees do? They close their eyes even tighter and refuse to see the light. And that's what happens when the light shines. For some, it lights up the darkness so that they can see with increasing clarity who Jesus is, that he is the Son of God, and that by putting their trust in him, that is their only way to have their sins forgiven. But for others, as the light shines, they close their eyes tighter and tighter because they hate the light and they do not want to see. And so I wonder this morning, how are you responding to the light? Are you like the the blind man, humbly letting the light lead you? Or are you someone who loves the dark? And so like the Pharisees, more and more emphatically, you are closing your eyes tight, tight, tight and rejecting the light. You see, it's not for lack of evidence that keeps us from following Jesus. The evidence is all around. All you have to do is look at the sky. It declares to us who who God is. And that's why our only hope is this. Our only hope is that Jesus will come along and change our hearts, taking our hard, stony hearts and replacing them with new, soft hearts so that when the light shines... We have this desire to follow after Jesus, the light of the world. That as his light shines and shows us the path, we will say, yes, this is the path I will follow. And that only happens when Jesus opens our eyes and gives us new hearts. If you're a Christian this morning, well then, as we hear these words, we should respond with great rejoicing, saying, wow, Jesus has opened my eyes. He has changed my heart. I have much to give thanks for. If you're here and you're not a Christian, how are you going to respond to the light? As you hear the offer of the gospel, pray that Jesus would change your heart and open your eyes and that then you might respond by following after him. Well, the man himself, he's been cast out. That's how this story finishes, isn't it? The man himself has been cast out, and it looks like the judgment has already been made about Jesus. We know what they're going to say, but we're awaiting the sentencing, aren't we? And yet, we don't really get to that part until next week. But you know, every good crime thriller has twists and turns right at the end. And so, yes, 
I'm leaving you on a cliffhanger and you must come back next week to see how the story finishes. Let's pray. Father, we recognize that without Jesus opening our eyes, we will never see. Without Jesus changing our hearts, we will never choose to follow after him. And so might you do that work. And as our eyes are opened and as our hearts are changed, might we faithfully follow in the path that is lit up before us, that leads us home. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.